Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hi, today uh, I get to introduce you to someone maybe you already know, Rhea Berg of Beautiful Feet Books. Um, We're friends uh, from a long time ago. When did you move to San Luis Obispo, Rhea? 2005. 2005, and it's now whenever it is, 2023. And um, she and her family have been living here, and they they produce, I think, out of your home. You must have a manufacturing place or a distributor building. I don't even know. I think you're across the street, actually, from me. Um, so, Bria, tell us a little bit about your family and then about um, your business. I really want to hear a little bit how that got started. Tell us about that passion. And then we're going to talk about a current passion that you and your husband have. And I can't wait to get to that. So Rhea, thank you and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Sue, for having me. Uh, Let's see. No, we don't produce out of our home. (laughs) There was a day uh, some 30 years ago when that was the case, but that's no longer the case. We have a beautiful office and warehouse in San Luis Obispo. And the current status is that my son has actually taken the business over from my husband and I, and he is, he is taking it to places we never imagined it, it would go, which is oh, wonderful, very exciting and thrilling. And his passion is to transform education through the hmm. power of good stories. Hmm. And that is really what Part of my passion was getting into uh, publishing and writing curriculum back in the 80s was that I initially started because that's how I wanted to teach my children. Hmm. I had read a book called For the Children's Sake by Susan Schaefer Macaulay. Hmm. And that book really inspired me that I could teach my children without the use of textbooks. Wow. And with just using the power of good stories and classic and historical literature to teach. So that was really the genesis behind starting Beautiful Feet Books. And um, and then one thing led to another. As we began to publish curriculum, we found that, oh, we would find these beautiful books and then these books would go out of print. And then suddenly oh. a study that we had taken a lot of time to develop was no longer very user-friendly. So that's what led us into um, beginning to publish children's books. So we've been doing that for about 35 years now. So did you have to buy the rights, the original rights from the author or from the publisher or both? It it, it varies. It is Mm. both. Uh, Sometimes if the publisher has just stopped printing the book, they may still retain the rights. I see. And then we work through the publisher. In a number of, in probably in most of the cases, the, the rights have reverted back to the author or the author's heirs. Right. And so we publish um, a series of book by, books by Ingrid and Edgar Prindelaire, and their two sons, Nils and Ula, have the rights to their parents' work. So we publish our books through them. Hmm. 
then uh, Genevieve Foster, her books are all, all in the same category. We worked through her children uh, hmm. for a number of years. And, uh, and then in other cases, we are still working directly with the author themselves. So, like And are, are you or your son still in the process of finding more good stories and yeah. having them printed through Beautiful Feet? Yes, always. Oh, great. Always looking, always looking for suggestions or uh -huh. for good stories. And the uh, one that I remembered from my college years was called Honey for a Child's Heart. Yes. Was that good? Was that a good one? Oh, that's excellent. Uh -huh. Yeah, that uh, Honey for a Child's Heart and Books Children Love, those were like my two like Bibles that I took to the library when I was mm -hmm. a young mother looking for good books. So those are always great. Right. I, my mother read to me and I read to my children. It's like one of the best yeah. things we can pass along. So beautiful feet though. Also you write curriculum. So you help homeschool moms and they don't have to be, it's not a religious organization or is it? Our, our guides are mainly non-sectarian. Okay. So um, for, for instance, we publish a number of curriculums just using classic children's literature. One of the studies we have is called around the world of picture books and so in that study, we do a beautiful biography um, by Demi on Mother Teresa. And so, of course, there's, you know, Mother Teresa lived her life in devotion to God. So that is part of her story. And of course, we're not going to edit that out. That is part of the truth of what makes her one of the most inspiring human beings in our century. So it's not so beautiful feet publishing is not a Christian organization. That's my question. Well, <clears throat> say on the contrary it is okay we try to um we try to imbibe the 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 virtues of our faith into the quality of the products that we create hmm. so that they're nurturing faith and courage and all of those things in the home oh, wonderful and i know what beautiful feet is referring to but why don't you explain to my audience why did you call your company beautiful feet we come from the beautiful feet of the scripture that says how beautiful are the feet of them that publish good news that publish good news oh i just love that i i hope we all have beautiful feet every day <laughs> whether or not we get a pedicure on a regular basis um i neglected to ask how long have you been married how many children and what are their ages so we have been married in december for 45 years mm -hmm. and we have six children our oldest is 42 and our youngest is 22. Uh, we have uh, our first four biological and then we adopted um, number five and number six from Ukraine back in 2001. Which would be a whole nother story, but we don't have time for. Right. <laughs> well, I was just telling Ria that I see Tatiana at church and she gives me the biggest hug as if like I'm her favorite person. But I had to ask Ria what her name was because I forget, but she is such a love and what a joy and things don't always turn out great when you adopt from another country. I know adoption is a, a very challenging work. Of it is a challenging work of the church and you've been obedient in that. Married 45 years to the same man. Right? Yes. <laughs> by the okay. <laughs> by the grace of God, I say the same only it's 34 and a half. Um, no, by the time this is published, it'll be 35 years. I hope we went out when we did when we celebrated that. I, I usually make him do that. He could eat, yeah, he could live on Taco Bell. So I have to I bring celebration to that man's life, but he is a great joy to me. <laughs> now, Ria, 
you and your husband have started this um, marvelous local, really, ministry that I wanted you to talk about today, because I think it's part of your latest legacy. I think Beautiful Feet is part of your legacy, adoptions legacy. But as far as prison ministry, um, we don't see you much anymore at my church because you have really taken the church in Jesus. We have a local prison. And so why don't you just give us the beginnings of that journey? And then I have a couple of questions about that and how people can get started in it as well, if God is calling them. Okay, well, thank you. I, I love talking about it. We didn't start the ministry. We really basically joined the ministry that was already happening at CMC, but we hadn't known about it. Like my husband likes to say, we drove by that prison for 10 years and never gave it a thought. And CMC stands for? The California Men's Colony. And um, when we first started volunteering there, there were, I think, over 5,500 inmates. Now the population has been decreased by virtue of a mandate from the federal government to decrease the uh, prison populations in this country because they are... Um, statistically, we are one of the most punitive countries in the world. We have more people per capita in prison than any other democracy in the world, which is, is a sad, sad. Does that mean we're punitive or does that mean there's more bad people in America? No, it's because of our, it's because of the laws and the reasons for which we, um, you know, put people behind bars. Okay. It's, it's not that we have more bad people. It's just that I was tongue in cheek, but I just thought well, well something someone might be listening and say, well, maybe yeah. we need the, we need those laws, but we're not talking law and order today. We're talking about bringing Jesus inside the walls for those who are there, right? Yes. So how did that get started? So um, I was initially inspired by a few authors. One of them is Anne Lamott, and Anne Lamott talks in her books about how her father visited San Quentin when she was a child growing up. Hmm. And was always inspiring to her and then a friend of hers invited her to go into San Quentin to bring storytelling wow and I always had a thought of going into prison but I never really could sort of figure out what I would do once I got there <laughs> that's a good that's actually a good question what do I do when I get do I teach them baking what what does this white girl from suburbia you know America yeah. have to say to mostly urban you know, gentlemen from the, you know, some pretty, from pretty difficult upbringings. What, sure. what am I going to have to bring that? That they would even listen to. Yes. And mm -hmm. so, so when I, when I heard about storytelling and, and how transformative that can be, because um, when someone who's been incarcerated can begin to tell their story and learn how to tell their story, it can be very cathartic for them. Mm, of course just a real powerful um, avenue of healing. So I thought, oh, I could do that. That sounds lovely. But then I thought, well, I wonder if anyone's doing that in the prison. And, um, and so I started doing some research and no, I, I didn't come across any storytelling going on there, but I did come across a branch of prison fellowship ministries that was happening in our local prison called CHUMI, and that's an acronym for the Urban Ministry Institute. And the Urban Ministry Institute was initially started by a gentleman by the name of Dan Davies, or Dan Davis, and he had a vision for bringing a seminary quality degree or seminary quality education 
to people who are already ministering in urban settings. We have, um, we have a plethora of um, strip mall and, and corner churches in the urban setting. And many of those men have never had an men and or women have never had an opportunity to get a seminary education. And so he was inspired to do that. And he started this course. It's a four-year course or 16 modules. Each module takes about um, 10, 10 to 12 weeks. And once they have completed that four-year course, they have what is comparable to a typical seminary education. And so they, they had that program already going at CMC. And so I looked into that and sure enough, they were more than willing to accept volunteers. And because my background is English, I thought, well, it, I could certainly help. They have to, you know, each student has to learn how to write exegesis, mm -hmm. in-depth Bible study. Mm -hmm. And I could certainly help with that sort of thing. So, so wait a minute. So Don, Dan Davis's thing was to bring seminary education to the pastors, but on the outside. So they have yeah. it on the inside. Yes. And so that was and, going along. And why is that? Because there are Christian pastors in jail? No, because, because what he saw was that in the urban setting, the um, average minister did not have any kind of seminary training. So he wanted to address that need. But in the process, someone thought of bringing that into the prisons and making it available wow. to, to incarcerated individuals because many of them, well, the majority of them are going to go right back to the urban setting. Sure. And so when it got in, institute or when it got um, brought into the prisons, it really, really took off. And so um, it's in, it's just in, you know, probably hundreds of prisons around the country. And, and as it, I hate to ask this question, but is it accredited or does that even matter if people are going to? Unfortunately, it is not accredited, mm -hmm. but it is a solid seminary program. And um, the good news is, is that, for instance, one of my graduates that was a student that was studying under me that was subsequently paroled, they, he went down to LA and Western Seminary oh, wow. was willing to give him credit for the work that he had done through Tuni. Wonderful. It's hmm. wonderful. So, so we're seeing more and more of that because the quality of this course is you know, becoming more, more widespread and more um, acknowledged. And, and your husband does it as well? No, my husband does a ministry at CMC called Yoke Fellows. And that is a ministry that was started way back in the 1960s by Elton Trueblood. Hmm. He wrote a book called The Company of the Committed. And he noticed that the, what he felt was one of the primary needs of evangelical churches in America was to get the men involved and committed. Mm. And if the men could be involved and committed and accountable to one another, that could really transform the church. Of and course. So we started this group called Yuck Fellows. And it, again, it was started on the outside for the church, but mm. it has, you know, just taken off like wildfire within the prisons because mm. It isn't, it isn't a Bible study, but it's an accountability group. It's sharing your life. 
and cultivating kinship with a group of no more than 12 men. Mm. And that has been truly transformative in, mm. um, in prison facilities also. When did you first know that what were you doing, the, what you are doing was making a difference? Oh my goodness. Um, it didn't take very long to see the power of so many of these, so many of these incarcerated individuals have been incarcerated since they were juveniles. They were raised in urban settings that were violent, that were drug infested. They often had drug addicted mothers or fathers. Often the fathers were completely out of the picture. And so, um, so to see these kinds of individuals who have never had any real education or anyone just sort of mentoring them and pouring into them come into this program and learn how to think, I've seen the power of the word of God to really transform their minds. And um, it's just, it's dramatic. It's dramatic, the changes that I've seen in individuals that have completed this course. Were you afraid at all? No, I've never been afraid. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think maybe a little nervous the first couple of times we went in because it was, you know, and we were, we were duly cautioned that you're entering a foreign country. And, and that's not because the people there are strange. It's because it's an institution unlike any other institution mm -hmm. in the world. You know, prisons are just a different world. But once, once we were inside and I, I started meeting uh, the men, I, I knew I was home immediately. Wow. And do you do a church service or just teaching yeah. English? So the, the Chimmy class takes place on Saturday night. So I go in every Saturday night and then the, uh, the Sunday services, uh, my husband and I both volunteer at those as well. Hmm. And so what is your, what is your role in the worship? Oh, we're just there. We're just there basically as facilitators. Most of the programs in prison cannot take place without someone from the outside coming in. So in other words, if they want to have an AA group, if they want to have a celebrate recovery group, someone from the outside has to sponsor that program and come inside. Otherwise those groups don't take place. So there's a pastor who comes in on a regular basis, the same one. And then you are part of the audience just to be a yoke fellow with these. Yes. And, and I mean, and you know, sometimes we'll bring the message. Sometimes we'll share a testimony. One of the things I like to do the most is have my to me students get up and give a testimony of what's been happening in their life. And, um, and so that's great because the to me group is intimate. It's only about 12 or 14 gentlemen. So we get to know each other really well. And so often I get to really know their stories and they feel safe to share their stories. And then those stories can be really inspiring for the rest of the, the, um, the inmates that come to the Sunday services. I'm curious, it, the ones who join your seminary classes, are they already believers or do they get saved as they study the word? I think we've had, we, I, we've had sort of a little bit of everything mm -hmm. um, because it is a program that's um, available inside a, you know, California, you know, Department of Corrections. That's a state run facility. Um, it cannot be exclusive. Okay. If somebody that had a different faith persuasion, wanted to take it, they would be welcome to take of course. it. Right. Um, and I haven't had a lot of that. I have had people take the course that were not Christians. 
and um, and I have seen it be transformative in those lives. Hmm. That's Some kind of the point. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, I think one gentleman that was in there was taking it because they also get you know they get points and credit. Stuff. They, mm -hmm. they get credits toward. Or, or that will credit toward maybe getting some time off of their sentence. And so sometimes some guys, but that has been very much the exception rather than the rule. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, I've had the opportunity to work with some really extraordinary gentlemen. In fact, one of them had been incarcerated for 33 years mm -hmm. for a crime that he did not commit. And he was exonerated in 2020. Wow. Set free. And that whole time, he was in my class for a couple of years. That whole time, he never once complained to me that he was there unjustly. Wow, that's a whole nother story in itself. It reminds me of the wonderful book and movie, Just Mercy. Yes. yes. Fabulous. Um, so you let me get this straight. So you go to church with them. But then what day of the week do you teach and how often? Every week. And that's Saturday nights. Saturday night, you teach the course. But when do you worship with them? Sunday morning? Okay. And was that hard? Well, this is kind of a funny question, but you used to be part of our fellowship and now you're part of the prison fellowship. And uh, so I, I thought, wow, they're not, they must've changed churches. Well, you certainly did in yeah. quite, quite a dramatic fashion. And I bet not a lot of people didn't follow you. You know how churches split and people fell. <laughs> I came all by myself and I'm still by myself. Yeah. I have a question. Is there a mindset change that you and your husband went through as you continued in this work? Do you look back and say, wow, I used to think this about that? Like a pre, we all have preconceived ideas. What, what, some, what are some changes that you went through? Boy, there's a lot, Sue. I would say that probably the most compelling one that's been the most transformative is that the men that are behind bars are just exactly like you and me. Mm -hmm. They have had a rough break and they have... Um, perhaps made a pretty devastating mistake, but at the heart of them, their, their personhood, their humanity is exactly the same as yours and mine. And I think also when you have committed a crime and society has kind of thrown you away and, or put you away and thrown away the key, I think you have to draw on a depth within yourself that we don't often in the free world mm -hmm. have to draw on. And so I, my faith has been strengthened by their faith. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I didn't expect. You know, I was nervous and apprehensive about what I could bring to them, but I had no appreciation or concept of what they would bring to me. Mm -hmm. And now I understand why, you know, Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me because I have seen Jesus in the lives of these men in incredibly dramatic ways, incredibly dramatic ways. And that has really deepened my faith and convinced me of how powerful redemption is and how good our God is. Say that last line again, convinced. It has convinced me of how powerful redemption is and how good our God is. He truly does save to the uttermost. Hmm. And I, I, I see that on a weekly basis there. Um, 
I'll tell you one little story if we have time. We do. Okay. So I have a student in my class and I'll just, I'll just call him Thomas to, to protect his identity. Sure. But um, he has been incarcerated since he was 17. Oh. Again, he was a, a juvenile offender that grew up probably in a very rough neighborhood. He came from an immigrant farm family. And many of those neighborhoods where um, our agricultural workers live are rough neighborhoods. There's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of teen pregnancy. These are hard places to raise children, especially when both parents are out in the fields. Sure. They out. Mm. So he uh, was obviously a trial to his parents because he was a juvenile offender. He was in and out of trouble all the time. But then he was finally like locked up at age 17. And he said, I always loved my father, but I never heard him say those words to me. And he goes, and no wonder, I didn't give him any reason to say mm -hmm. it's terrible to my father. I was disrespectful. I was disobedient. I was rebellious. And I gave my father nothing but grief. Even after I was incarcerated, every time I spoke to my father on the phone, all I did was ask him, manipulate him to get what I wanted out of him. And he said, it wasn't until I came to Christ in 2015 that I realized how deeply I had wounded my father. Hmm. And, and even though here he was raising my daughter for me because I couldn't, and I knew he loved me so much, you know, I had just treated him horrifically. But when I came to Christ in 2015, I realized that and I asked my father forgiveness and every time I would talk to my father, I would always say, I love you, Dad, on the phone before we hung up. But my father never said it back to me. And I don't blame him because I was so awful, but I just longed to hear those words. And so three weeks ago, he got up in our Tumi class and he said, I want to share this story. And he shared that story and he said, Last night on the phone, you know, the last thing I said to my father was, hey, dad, I love you. His father only speaks Spanish. And, and he said, wait a minute, son, wait a minute. I just want you to know that I love you too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he began to just tear up as he shared this. And then he said, I haven't seen my father for 15 years. Oh, my goodness. But there's a ministry called Get on the Bus. And this was um, a ministry started by uh, a group of um, Catholic nuns. And it, it may be Sisters of Charity. I can't remember right now which one. But they've been doing this for years. Because so many incarcerated individuals, their families live so far away mm -hmm. from the institutions. And because right. they're poor, sometimes some of the parents don't drive. Sometimes they don't have a car. And just the logistics of um, getting to come and see their, um, their family member is so difficult. But the sisters realized that this was really essential for the ultimate rehabilitation. Sure. And so they started this ministry called Get on the Bus. And people that want to be involved in prison ministry can join that. And that's a powerful ministry to get involved in. Um, and they uh, they go through the state system 
when families want to come visit their loved one in prison, they fill out an application, <clears throat> it gets cleared by the state, and then get on the bus will make all of the arrangements hmm. to get the mother or father, sisters, brother, you know, aunts and uncles, whoever wants to come see the family member, and they will provide the transportation. That's why it's called get on the bus. So cute. And then they basically bring them for a day. If they have to travel from a, a long distance, they put them up overnight. Wow. And then they provide food. They have a big party. And um, this gentleman that I was telling you his story, Thomas, he hadn't seen his father for 15 years. A month ago was the first time his father had told him he loved him in 15 years. Well, he applied to get... Um, to come to get on the bus and the state turned him down. They rejected his application. Huh. And so, so Thomas was really disheartened because he wanted to see his father so badly and his daughter. And so he just said, but Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just huh. going to trust you that you have a purpose in this. I'm going to continue serving you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to be angry. And so three days later, three days later, Thomas gets a letter that his father's been approved. Hmm. Wow. And so he calls up the, he calls or goes and sees his guidance counselor. They look into it and she says, yeah, I, I, this looks valid to me. And so he calls the organization and they say, no, our records show that he's been disapproved. And so he said, well, shoot, I have this. So, okay, I'm going to have my dad call. So the father called. They told him again, no, you have been disapproved. You can't go in. Hmm. And so then um, Thomas called again <laughs> and they said, oh, actually, the, we've never seen this happen in the history of this organization. But yes, we have an approval letter here for your father. So within three days of getting the rejection letter, <clears throat> the approval letter and three days later, his father was able to come into the institution and see his son for the first time in 15 years. Wow. He brought his little eight-year-old daughter, Thomas's daughter, with him. And Thomas stood there sharing this with just tears that seeing my father kissing his face, holding him, telling him how sorry I was for all the pain I brought into his life, and just seeing his love. Wow. Raising him and being with my daughter was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced in my whole hmm. life. Hmm. Wow. So, so there's things. great joy amidst the pain. Hmm. Um, if someone wants to do prison ministry, you kind of answered one of the, you know, one way they could do it is to get involved with get on the bus. Yes. Uh, do you have another tip or two that they could, if they're feeling moved to at least pray about it? Yes. Well, um, if they would like to visit, they can, they could contact me and maybe we'll have contact information. They could contact me and I can put them in the right channels as far as uh, the right people to talk to. They just have to fill out some very basic application. The CDCR will run their, you know, their history through and make sure they don't have any felonies on their record, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But if, um, if that all is clear, they can go in and just visit and see if they like it. Mm -hmm. um, if you decide that you want to be a volunteer, you do have to visit three times. And then you can go through the process and become a, um, 
they, they call it, um, you know, lay clergy. We're considered lay clergy. Oh, yeah. I've heard that before. CDCR system. And you can, in, you can involve yourself in lots of different types of programs. On the okay. So. I, uh, I think I told you I've only visited a prisoner once, a woman who lived nearby. And, and thought she was innocent, but I don't know the story. I was not the lawyer. I was just her neighbor. That's right. But it was interesting when I went into, I couldn't even take my purse or my keys. It was kind of, it was kind of weird. Yeah. You know, I think you get used to it the more you go, but I only went that one time and she had no idea it was going to be me. No one told her. So she comes to the glass and said, oh, starts crying. And um, it was very moving. And yet I thought it's so bizarre that they have to be behind bars and, um, and that they can't communicate. So you're bringing the gospel in and you're bringing love and humility. And I think uh, people are so drawn to that, just like they're drawn to Christ. I think, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that nine out of 10 incarcerated individuals never receive a visitor. Oh my goodness. Never. Some of these men are there with life sentences. In fact, um, about five or six years ago, we had a very elderly gentleman there. He had been incarcerated for 42 years, and he got his first visitor while we were there. It was a niece that wasn't even born when he was incarcerated. Wow. And uh, she flew out from Alabama to come see her uncle wow and that was the first visitor he ever had in 43 years mm. uh didn't you tell me a story about a one that was released that came and had dinner with you yes yes we have a few of those yeah yes i told a friend that and they go oh, i would never do that and i thought well there's hospitality for you <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing ria you're such an inspiration is there something that you can uh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we close up and I think that I, I want to comment on your friend's comment that she could never do that. And then I think that's because, because we don't see them and we don't know them, it's hard to imagine. But the moment you get to meet these people that are incarcerated, you find out they're just like you. They have the same dreams and aspirations. You know, sometimes they've done something that's really hurt a lot of people, but um, to see when someone has been through that and they've had a beautiful experience of regret, remorse, and repentance and the transformation that that's made in their lives, um, there's no longer any fear in being with that person. Mm. They're, they're completely safe. And, um, and they have a depth of joy that I don't think is possible for us because to him who's forgiven much, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's just a deeper capacity for love and joy. That is so true. And the fact that God <clears throat> knows all of our inner sin and enters in with a relationship with us, yes. it's the same thing. And it, it doesn't bother him. No, thank God. You know, <laughs> thank God. He knows us best and loves us anyway, is what I like to say. That's right. Because, you know, we don't really get to know our husbands till we you know, at least been on a honeymoon and maybe a couple of weeks past that. And we go, what have we done? But it's too late, but God knew and God does know. And he still enters every time we, I have to confess like 40 times by lunch or my breakfast. 
he's going, that's okay, Sue, because I still love you. It's not, you know, you're not worthy because of what you do and you don't do. So anyway, what a blessing, Ria. And um, we will put links in the show notes. If you could just send me some links of how people could get yes. uh, involved. It doesn't have to be your personal phone number, um, but they could reach you as well through riabooks.com or something like that. And you send me the links and um, we'll get some people back into that prison. I know other people who have done it in the past and maybe this would encourage them to go back. We desperately need volunteers. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, since COVID, we lost a lot of volunteers. Sure, so we're, sure. we're down to a skeleton crew. So, and the more volunteers go in, the more programs are available for the guys and the better they do. So, hmm. And, you know, because nine out of 10 don't get visitors anyone that goes in just on a weekly basis they bond to like family because mm. you become familiar you become really what they consider part of their family and mm. that's a beautiful thing yeah so what an inspiration thank you ria we thank you for your time thank and you bless you bless you you're welcome until next Bye. time think about your legacy the one god has called you to live all for heaven's sake i would love to speak at your next christian women's event See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.